Please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. The Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 10. If you're visiting with us or you left your Bible at home, um, you can pull out that black Bible in the chair in front of you. Go towards the back and find page 7. Page 7, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 5. And we're actually going to read all the way to chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 10, verse 5 to chapter 11, verse 1 page 7 to page 8 in that black Bible. A large chunk, and I, I thought about splitting it up, excuse me, but everything seems to flow together, so I'm like, ah, I really didn't want to break it up. So we're, we're putting it all together, um, and we're going to look at that today. So chapter 10, verse 5 of Matthew's Gospel, and I'll read all the way to chapter 11, verse 1. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of Gentiles, do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal sick, raise dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive freely, give freely. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper uh, into your belts a bag for a journey or even two garments or sandals or staff for the worker is worthy of his nourishment and into whatever city or village you enter inquire who's worthy in it and remain there till you go away and as you enter the house give it your greeting if the house is worthy let your peace come upon it but if it is not worthy let your peace return to you and whoever does not receive you or hear your words as you go out of that city, house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, verse 16, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you to local court councils and, and scourge you in their synagogues. And you should be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you, don't be anxious how or what you will speak, for it shall be given to you in that hour what you are to speak for. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver brother up to death and a father a child and children will rise up against parents and put them to death and you'll be hated by all on account of my name but the one who endures to the end will be saved but whenever they persecute you in this city flee to the next for truly I say to you you shall not finish the cities of Israel until the son of man comes verse 24 a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. 
and what you hear in an ear proclaim upon the roofs. And do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for one-sixteenth of a cent? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, therefore do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore everyone who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 34, do not think that I came to cast peace on the earth. I did not come to cast peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. The one who receives you receives me and the one who receives me receives the one who sent me. The one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive the reward of a prophet and the one who receives a righteous one in the name of a righteous one will receive the reward of a righteous one. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink truly I say to you he shall not lose his reward. Chapter 11 verse 1 and it came about and Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Wimp to Warrior. That's the title of the article. Natasha, the girl who wouldn't cry wolf. An article in MMA Inside. They interviewed this gal, Natasha Wolf, talking about her experience on season two of The Wimp to Warrior program last year in Belfast. The Wimp to Warrior program takes people, this is really, really happens, takes people who have no history in martial arts and drives them through a 22-week program that culminates in an MMA fight. They go through savage training. MMA fights, uh, you know, it's like a big cage. It's like octagon and there's two people that are boxing and kicking and throwing each other and putting each other in some pin. I was watching one one time, some guy knocked some guy. He was bleeding everywhere. <laughs> so that's the MMA fight. So they actually train people for 22 weeks and they put them in the ring in an MMA fight, a real MMA fight. Natasha was in the depths of postnatal depression when she began this process last year. And she, in the article, she relates how she started the program and it helped her come out of her uh, postnatal depression. So if any ladies, you get pregnant and then you have the baby and you want to go through, uh, get out of postnatal depression, contact Wimp to Warrior program and they'll help you through that process. So. Some of you are writing that down, I see. Yeah, that's good. Who wants to be a wimp? Nobody. Nobody wants to be a wimp. By the way, she actually lost the fight. So she went, she actually lost it. But she's still training. It's kind of interesting. Nobody wants to be a wimp. We want to be warriors, right? We want to be known as a warrior. But when it comes to following Jesus, guess what? It's for wimps. 
And yet when you read this passage, it's for wimps who aren't wimps. Because to follow Jesus is no wimpy thing. Some of these things that Jesus said are pretty intense, shocking statements. Which is why I titled the message for today, this worship, worship Jesus, the Messiah came, is for wimps who aren't wimps. It's for wimps who aren't wimps. This type of worship, when you bow down and worship Jesus, you have to admit that you're a wimp, but following Jesus is no wimpy thing. I put in a statement for you. This kind of faith worship and King Jesus is for wimps who aren't wimps. The weak, humble, and helpless wimps aren't wimps when it comes to following Jesus. Specifically, and we'll look at these more intense later on, when Jesus says, I did not come to cast peace but a sword. When Jesus says in verse 39, excuse me, verse 38, he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You can't love father and mother more than me or else you're not worthy. Those are shocking statements. When it comes to the gospel message and being one of Jesus' followers, it's not for wimps. The cost of the gospel is high, yet it's worth it because the one who loses their life for Jesus finds life abundantly. You find that life is truly fulfilling. These verses were a specific charge to Jesus' 12 disciples. Which is why we must walk cautiously and not simply apply it to us and and everything that he says, directly apply to our Christian mission in our own circumstances. Or, to put it another way, Jesus would send out his disciples to continue his ministry by preaching the kingdom and explain its power to the lost sheep of Israel. This mission was specifically for them at that time, so the overall purpose or aim does not directly apply to us. Yet, having said that, we will see different principles arise from the text that do apply to us. Even though for us, in the U.S., we have yet to experience the kind of persecution that Jesus mentions here. But think, of our, our bre- think about our brethren in different countries. Uh, they can definitely relate to some of these verses. I'll mention a gal later on in the service. Well, how do you know what applies and what doesn't apply? We use what's called the analogy of faith or Scripture interpreting Scripture. We see other verses from other passages that say something similar to what we see here in our situation, our passage in chapter 10. For example, when Jesus says, you'll be hated by all. That's said many other places in God's word. So today what I'll do, I'm gonna give you 12 principles. Here are 12 principles that show Christianity is not for wimps. All right? This is gonna show you true Christianity is not for wimps even though we're wimps because we 
trust Christ. He wants to humble people to come to him and yet this is no wimpy thing. Here's 12 principles that we'll see. Number one, we preach the same gospel message. We preach the same gospel message. Look at chapter 10, verses five through eight. They were to go not to the Gentiles, not to the Samaritans, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Notice verse seven, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is near. So these 12 disciples, apostles, were to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now it's true, as we preach the same gospel message, it's true, ethnicity does not merit God's favor. Yet, Israel is God's covenant people and the eschatological blessings were first promised to them. So, the gospel is first for them and then to the Gentiles. Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe to the Jew first and then to the Greek. If you come in contact with someone who's Jewish, if you can take advantage of the fact that to them has been given the oracles of God, you have an opportunity, a more of an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to them, even though you'll have a greater opportunity for them to actually persecute you because the hard-heartedness of those who are of Israeli descent. But the same message as John the Baptist, the same message that Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God is near repent because God's rule and reign has come in his Messiah King the Lord Jesus they were proclaiming the coming of their master and we preach the same message too this is a principle we can take away from this passage we preach the same gospel and notice it says in verse 7 excuse me in verse 8 It also included them doing miracles as a way to confirm the truth. The kingdom was here. This is what it's gonna look like in its fullness in the future. He says, as they've received God's grace freely, Jesus called them to give freely. You've received without cost, give without cost. We proclaim the same message. We tell people to repent and trust Christ. Principle number two, the financial cost to the gospel. The financial cost of the gospel is high. Notice what Jesus says in verse nine. Don't require gold, silver, copper, bag, two garments, sandals, all these different things. They were to do all this without any kind of payment or preparation on their part. They would rely on those who would receive this message, their message. God's kingdom was not for sale, yet those who received it should give freely to his messengers. And then notice what he says here in verses 11 through 13. Enter a city or a village, inquire who's worthy, abide there, enter the house, give it your greeting. If it's worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it's not worthy, let your peace. What was he talking about? What does he mean by that worthy? Worthy, that is, those who received their message, their message, and offered them hospitality. Jesus is going to bring this up later on throughout his message. They would give a greeting of peace to worthy homes, but those who rejected the message would not be worthy of them as messengers. So they would retract their blessings, so you'd be looking for the right ones. Well, how do we take this principle? How does it apply to us? The one who supplies our resources is the Lord and his power. 
We as his followers are meant to live simple lives, not plush, luxuriant lives as opposed to what those prosperity gospel preachers tell you. Jesus wants you to be rich, wealthy, and wise. That's a lie. But mind you, when we mark ourselves as Christians, it may cost us financially. To live for Christ may bring financial loss. That's the cost of following Jesus. Christianity is not for wimps because there's a financial cost to following Jesus. But yet, know that God will always provide, right? Principle number three. Gospel rejection happens. Gospel rejection happens. You will be rejected. Look at verse 10, excuse me, chapter 10, verses 14 to 15. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words, you go out, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah and the day of judgment than for that city. To receive them is to receive their message. To reject the message is to reject the messenger. And in response, they're going to shake the dust off their feet. Which symbolizes them leaving them to God's judgment. That's why they would do that. Because of rejecting the message and his messengers, the judgment would come upon them and be more severe for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. But what's the principle that we take from this? When people reject the message of the gospel, they will face judgment. When they reject the message, they're rejecting Christ and us as his messengers. Gospel rejection happens. When people receive the message, they're receiving us as his people. Notice, we're tied to the message and the message is tied to us in Christ. When they embrace Christ, they embrace us. When they reject Christ, they're rejecting us. Gospel rejection happens. Which leads to principle number four, the political cost to the gospel. There may come a day when we have to stand up against our political government for the sake of truth. Interesting how this comes up today or tomorrow, you know, but this weekend is Memorial Day weekend, right? Those who've sacrificed their lives on behalf of our country. And yet there may come a day when our country will be against us. There is a political cost to the gospel. Notice what Jesus talks about here in verse 16. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore... Be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Those who reject the gospel will not be passive. They will oppress us as Jesus' messengers. So we need wisdom along with integrity. We must be shrewd without being harmful and innocent without gullibility. (laughs) That's what Jesus is saying. Why? Verse, nine, uh, verse 17, beware of men for they will deliver you to court councils, scourge you in their synagogues. Notice verse 19, you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testament to them and to the Gentiles. His disciples though, they didn't need to worry from verse 19, when they deliver you, don't worry about what you're gonna say because the Father's gonna give you the words to say. This is true even today that our Father by His Spirit gives us the words to speak when we're falsely accused by those who reject His message? 
Now, obviously, these verses look to a time when Jesus' apostles and his disciples, they faced this. You look at the book of Acts, it's very true. And yet, even today, in other countries, our own brethren face these circumstances. But yet, that's why I mentioned earlier, there may come a day when we may have to stand up against our own political government for the truth of the gospel. There is a political cost to the gospel. Right now, we're enjoying the freedom. Right now, we can exercise it. But you know very well, just as much as I, that can go away real fast. There's a political cost to the gospel. Christianity is not for wimps. Jesus drives it further. In verse 21 to verse 25, the familial and social cost of the gospel. He says in verse 20, it's not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And then he says in verse 21, brother will deliver brother to death. A father, a child, children rise up and put their parents to death. You'll be hated by all on account of my name. The familial and social cost of the gospel. The good news of the kingdom is divisive. The most intimate relationships will be severed. Brother versus brother. Father to child. Children to parents. Disciples of Jesus will be betrayed to death by their own family members. Because of our total allegiance to Christ, people will hate us, even our own family. The social cost to the gospel the familial cost to the gospel. Following Jesus may cost us these family relationships and these social relationships. Notice what Jesus says in verse 23, whenever they persecute you in the city, flee to the next, or two they say to you, you shall not finish the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. It's hard to apply this, not just because of who they're preaching to, the Israel, but sometimes we should stay. What does Jesus mean here when he says until the Son of Man comes? What does he mean? Does it refer to when uh, his resurrection? Does it refer to the destruction of Jerusalem? Does it refer to when he comes back to meet them later on? Does it refer to his second coming? It's hard to determine what he means by this. I think after his resurrection, that's what he means by this. When the Son of Man comes after his resurrection. But regardless where you take that, Notice what Jesus continues to drive home here in verse 24. Look at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. Verse 25. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Students or slaves should not expect better treatment than their teacher or Lord. Notice, our identity is linked to Jesus. So that if they called him Satan, that's what that means, Beelzebul, after just all this time, it came to be another phrase or term to describe Satan himself. Remember we saw that last week. The Pharisee says, oh, he casts out demons by the ruler, by Satan himself, which is ridiculous. 
If they called Jesus Satan, if they called him Satan, how much more so us as his followers? We will share in the hatred directed against Christ. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15, verse 18? If they hated me, they're going to hate you. The familial and social cost to the gospels. And it might be in small ways, but it can also be in big ways. Which is why Jesus says, number six principle, be steadfast. Look at verse 22. You'll be hated by all on account of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Be steadfast. We must maintain our devotion to Jesus, to Jesus alone, because for us who endure to the end, we will be saved, which points to future salvation. We must remain steadfast to our Lord. And you know what? We need the grace to do it. And He gives us the grace to do it. It's true. Endurance and steadfastness is the mark of a true disciple of Jesus. That's true. Endurance and steadfastness is a, the true mark of a disciple of Jesus. This is why Christianity is, is for wimps who aren't really wimps. Because to follow Jesus is no wimpy thing. He says to be steadfast. Number seven, he also says, don't fear. Principle number seven, don't fear. And he walks through here in verses 26 to 31. Three times Jesus says, don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. You think he's trying to get a point across? I'll give you the reasons all together right now, then we'll go through them one by one. Three reasons. Don't fear because the hidden sins of our oppressors will be made known on judgment day. Speak openly, God will vindicate us. Don't fear, number two, because the Father will judge our persecutors. Don't fear, number three, because our Father truly loves us and is watching out for us. So don't fear. First, the hidden sins of our oppressors are revealed. Look at verse 26. Therefore, don't fear. There's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear in an ear, proclaim upon the roofs. No fear. Why? Because it will be made known on judgment day their sins. Instead of being afraid, his disciples should openly declare what he told them privately. You say it from the roofs. You speak truth. We will be vindicated just like Jesus is vindicated, which leads to the second reason. Don't fear because the Father will judge our persecutors. Look at verse 28. Don't fear those who kill the body, but they're unable to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Not only will their sins, the sins of our oppressors, be revealed, but the Father will judge our oppressors. So no, no need to fear. Keep proclaiming the truth. They can only kill the body. Big deal. You get to be with Jesus after they kill the body. Rather, 
The real issue is the Father who destroys both soul and body in hell. And he doesn't mean annihilationism. He doesn't talk about that. He doesn't mean that. He's talking about how the Father will punish the evil eternally in hell. The word he uses here is Gehenna. The Valley of Hinnom. It was in south, the southwest part of the old city of Jerusalem, the place where human sacrifice to the god Molech was offered many years ago. Friends, this is the truth of eternal hell or punishment which motivates faithful discipleship to Jesus, eh? Our Father is not only a loving Father who cares for us, but He's one who's worthy of our awe and admiration because He is the eschatological judge of all and the one who's gonna be His instrument by which He judges the world is what you just sang a few moments ago, the glorious Christ. He will judge. No need to fear. The sins of our oppressors will be revealed. Jesus will vindicate us. It's like the Father, He will bring judgment upon them. But third reason that Jesus gives here in verse 29 to 31, the Father truly loves us. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold? It says a cent, but literally it's one-sixteenth of a denarius is what it was. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. That's why he says, verse 31, don't fear. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Birds worth very little are taken notice by the loving Father. Notice the lesser to greater argument that Jesus uses. If the Father notices tiny little sparrows, we, his people, are more valuable. So don't fear these persecutors. There's no fear because our Father your father is watching out for you. Trust him. One writer says this, quote, God is not so busy running the universe that he has no time for little birds, end quote. And I would add, or that he has no time for you and me. So that even the very hairs of your head are numbered as few as they are. <laughs> he has them numbered. Our Father truly loves us and is watching out for us. Don't fear. Be steadfast, don't fear. And number eight, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Notice what Jesus starts saying here in verse 32 to 33. Therefore, everyone who shall confess me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Persecutors will try to force us as Jesus' disciples to deny him or really to join them in denying him. But faithfulness means to openly confess Jesus openly before others, to deny Jesus, to reject him, confess Jesus, Jesus confesses you, deny Jesus, Jesus denies you. Stay faithful. And by the way, it's not simply acknowledging Jesus to be a good teacher. 
or even believing he's the Messiah. It's this. What's Matthew's point? You bow down and worship Jesus, the Messiah, King of Israel. I bow down to you. You're my king. I will follow you even if I have to face opposition from everyone in the world. I'm going to follow you. Christianity is not for wimps. This is what it means to be a Christian. If you're here, you're not a Christian, a follower of Jesus. The call is to you. Repent and trust Christ. He's calling you. Come. He'll show you grace and mercy and forgiveness of sins. But the cost is high. It's not for wimps. Stay faithful to the gospel. Number nine. The gospel calls for family sacrifice. Jesus drives this home even farther. Because look at verse 34. A friend of mine got stumped by this verse. Do not think that I came to cast peace on the earth. I did not come to cast peace but a sword. A shocking statement by Jesus. Look, just because Jesus came to save doesn't mean there won't be hostility or conflict. On the contrary, the kingdom message is confrontational. Even with family. It can fracture the dearest human relationships. He quotes from Micah chapter 7 verse 6. Here in verse 35, I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Verse 36, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Trusting Jesus may make more enemies than friends. Those enemies may end up being those within your own family. If you stand for truth, for the word, that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus is the Messiah who comes to save sinners and those in your family don't, then you're going to be in big trouble with them. And, and, and look how much stronger Jesus takes this in verse 37. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Love must be to Jesus even above family. One writer said, quote, to love one's family more than Jesus is to be unworthy of him, end quote. Trusting Jesus is more important than family unity and peace. Those are hard words to swallow. To follow Christ can be lonely. Some of you might know that. Some of you might know that from experience. You're the only Christian in your family. When it comes to theological liberalism, hot topic today, LGBTQIA. Someone believes you could be a lesbian and still be a Christian. A different religion. The list goes on. The gospel calls for family sacrifice. 
It's not for wimps. The gospel calls for self-sacrifice. Look at what he says in verse 38. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. One who truly follows Jesus takes up his or her own cross. When Jesus hears, now we, we, we hear this and we go, oh yeah, cross, okay, God. When Jesus hears, would, would hear Jesus say this, he knew exactly what he was saying. The crucifixion was the most horrible way to die. And they'd be like, wait, what? Did he just say what I think he said? He just said that. Take up his own cross and follow after me is not worthy of me? Who says crazy things like this? I was talking to some guy in Jerome Friday. I said, Jesus says some pretty crazy things. And I actually quoted some of this to him. I says, who says stuff like that? Maybe he's a lunatic. He's like, yeah, maybe he was a psychotic, yeah. I said, or maybe he's Jesus. Maybe he's God. He's, oh, no, 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 you can't be that. No, of course not. Look at what Jesus says in verse 39. He who has found his life shall lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. If she or he does not take up their own cross and follow Jesus, then she or he is not worthy of Jesus. We call people to love Jesus more than their own lives. If it comes down to him or my life as Jesus and only Jesus, this is Christianity. There's no wimpiness in this. To avoid the cross results in losing one's life, but the one who loses his or her life for the sake of Jesus will find it. To sacrifice one's life means true life will begin, not end. It's a life for the sake of Jesus. As one writer put it, Jesus demands from everyone who follows him nothing less than a death to self. But yet, if you lose yourself for Christ, you will find life truly fulfilling. You will. It'll be worth it. Some actually better news in these points. Point number 11 Gospel reception happens. Whew, okay. Well, it's, like, it's like negative stuff, right? It's like, blah, 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 but Jesus kind of, for lack of better terms, tapers this off in verse 40. Gospel reception happens. The one who receives you receives me. The one who receives me receives the one who sent me. As opposed to those denying Jesus, family, and one who has to risk losing their relationship for Jesus' sake, Jesus spoke of those who actually receive him. And then when they receive the disciple, they receive Jesus. And when they receive Jesus, they're receiving Jesus, they're receiving the Father. And the same way a person who receives a prophet or a righteous person will receive a word that is equal to a prophet or a righteous person. And when Jesus says this here in verse 41, he receives a prophet in name of a prophet will receive the reward of a prophet who receives a righteous one in name of a righteous one receives the reward of a righteous one. A prophet or righteous one is just another description of a disciple of Jesus. That's what it means. 
See, disciples of Jesus are agents of Jesus, just as Jesus is the agent of the Father. Prophets give God's message, right? Righteous persons stand for God's character. Just other phrases that Jesus uses to describe someone who's one of his followers, one of his disciples. Notice what he says here in verse 42. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones another phrase to describe a disciple of Jesus. A cup of cold water, they will be rewarded. Why? Because it shows they're receiving Jesus' agent. So in the midst of the breakdown of significant relationships, family, Jesus' disciples will find people who respond to the kingdom message and be hospitable to them. Remember he talked about that earlier in his message? But look, Jesus is saying there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground with him. You must respond to Jesus in repentant faith. You must embrace him. He leaves no wiggle room. You notice this. And the last principle is the focus is always on Jesus. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. And it came about that when Jesus had finished giving the instructions to his 12 disciples, instructing his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. Notice how nothing is said about the disciples leaving. Nothing is said about the disciples returning. Nothing is said about Jesus sending out the disciples. Nothing. Because the focus is always on Jesus and his teaching. He's always the focus. That's Matthew's point. He's trying to drive that home to us. It's Jesus Christ and your response to him. Because when it comes to the gospel message and being one of Jesus' followers, it's not for wimps. The cost of the gospel is high, yet it's worth it because the one who loses their life for Jesus finds it. So I gave you these 12 principles to show Christianity is not for wimps. Oh, I think I'm, this is the first uh, phrase that I gave to you earlier. This kind of faith worship in King Jesus is for wimps who aren't wimps. The weak, the humble, and the helpless, the wimps, there aren't wimps. Christianity is not for wimps. I'll leave you with this story. Um, we were at Shepherd's Conference. Um, Dr. MacArthur relayed a story about a student at the Master's University. And he had related this story before, um, months earlier. But there was a student, a female. Uh, she was from a Muslim country. And she come, ended up coming to Master's University. And, or she had Muslim parents, I should say. And she actually became a Christian. She went back home. And I'm probably botching up all the details of the story. She went home. Her family just refused to be around her. I think they even beat her up. Ostracized her. I mean, she really, she really knows what these statements mean. She really knows what these principles mean. 
the cost of following Jesus is high. And it's so worth it, though. Because she's still remaining faithful to Christ. Lord Jesus, help us. As we read and see these different aspects rise to the, from the text and calls us to faithfulness, steadfastness, endurance, not fear. Realizing the, <clears throat> the financial cost of following Jesus. Family sacrifice, self-sacrifice. Lord Jesus, we pray you would remain our focus. We pray that we would be faithful to preach this same gospel message. Give us the grace to be steadfast, to not fear, to be faithful and to stand firm in the faith. If you would take these few moments where we have this time of silence to allow yourself to reflect upon God's word. What we've seen here in chapter 10. Let your mind ponder on these things. And after a few moments, we'll worship in our giving, worship by singing two more songs, we'll pray. But this is an important time that I'd like to set aside for you, for me, for us, to reflect, to think, to let... God's word settle within our hearts to pray for God to work in us. So just take a few moments between you and the Lord.